a series, and we're talking about um, the house that God built. A year ago, we talked about Leviticus, and I brought it up. It's really kind of funny. I told the women this when I was there, and they all laughed about it. They thought it was hilarious. I thought it was kind of stupid myself. But my first Sunday a year ago, when we talked about Leviticus, I said, we're going to talk about Jesus in Leviticus. Okay, sounds good, right? Until after Sunday, and Jude says, well, that was stupid. Those aren't my words. Those are my words, not hers. But it was the same message. What do you mean it was that stupid? Jesus in Leviticus? Really? You know, I said, well, what would you call it? And she goes, well, if Jesus in Leviticus, does that mean there's love in Leviticus? Well, well, uh, yeah. And she said, well, why don't you call it the love story of Leviticus? That way all the women will at least come. (laughs) That's what happens when you get an academic. So we changed the title. And what we put out was, that it's a blueprint for a building that's going to be built, but it takes a builder, and that's what happened at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. So this year, we're taking a look in Ephesians because that's where it lays out all of the characteristics of this building, all of the dynamics. We've looked at a bunch of things. It's a house of unity. It's a house of thanksgiving, that sort of stuff. And so today, we're going to talk about a piece that's it's a house of love. Next week, we're going to get into the whole marriage thing, with that verse, um, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, okay? Um, it's actually not, there's no verb there to submit, okay? It's called an ellipsis. It's a verbless sentence that is supplied in English. And we'll get to that at the end today because you need to see what's happening. So just a little teaser for next week. In order to make sense of what Paul's about to argue with the whole family unit, you have to understand the first century world. For example, in Roman law, um, women were either under the authority of a father, a husband, or a guardian. You couldn't be on your own. That was against Roman law. Okay? And so in this context, you're going to see how oppressive it was for women. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And so what Paul's going to say is he's going to, to argue that that's invalid that women stand on their own for their own uh, value and dignity. And that's uh, the first time I know in recorded history that this is discussed. But before we get there, we have to talk about the essential definition of what love is, because this is what this chapter is about, is love. Okay? So this house is being defined, that God is building, the Spirit is building, is a house characterized by love. And what does that actually mean? So, This is in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children walk in the way of love. Okay, hold on. The verb walk is the verb used in chapter 4, 5, and 6. The NIV, for whatever reason, changes it, but you're going to see that it's the primary predominant verb. Walk, walk, walk. It's a really good verb because it's a metaphor for the spiritual life. If you think about Paul's time, over Paul's missionary journeys, he walked approximately 14,000 miles. Public transportation was a good pair of legs. Okay? He walked everywhere he went. That's why it took him his whole life to get around. And so walking, and he brought people with him, walking was one of those things that happened very slowly. God's never in a hurry. We live in a very fast-paced world, but God doesn't operate on that time. He moves at the speed that he wants. For example, uh, I so appreciate Becky's comments about my authenticity because that's the greatest compliment I could ever receive. 
is because that's the one reason I decided never to be a pastor is because of all the inauthentic pastors that I had been under. And here now, I wanted to do it and try it in such a way that I could be authentic and tell you the truth, just about who I am. You know, life is pretty simple for Nancy and me. Well, that's not really true because she's a woman. Uh, Life is actually quite complex for Nancy and me, but the elements are simple. Okay, and so uh, it's we decided long ago when we got married, the best thing we can do for our family and later on for ministry was to do it right. Let's just do it right. None of this extra marital stuff, none of that. Let's just do it right. And that's what we work to do. And it takes a long time to build a good marriage. You guys all know if you're paying attention to the news in Christianity, what's happening around the country. How many megachurches are imploding because their pastors are being accused of sexual infidelity, sexual abuse, sexual assault, financial uh, um, problems? There's several of them now. In fact, uh, one of the biggest churches in New York, I was talking to Lisa Harper about it. I was just with her. She knows the wife. And I said, is that true what I'm reading about the husband? She goes, yeah, it is. It is. Numerous, numerous charges have now come up. And there's one right after the other. Okay. I'm not surprised by that. God started with the Catholic Church, and now he's moving to the Protestant Church. He's cleaning house, okay? I don't ever want to be that kind of church, and I don't want to be that kind of pastor. And so one of the things, when you look in Scripture at the good leaders, they all fell before God used them, not after, before God put them in. Look at David, okay? I mean, talk about some of the sins early on before he became a great king, or Abraham, or Moses, or Paul, You look at these guys, and they made really big mistakes either before or in the early part um, before they moved into some level of of greatness. And so these churches that are following, one of the associations made up of some of these churches hired a a clinical psychologist, a a famous world-renowned, to step in and analyze and come up with solutions and help. And he wasn't there very long, and he resigned. Gave his money back and said, not interested. And he posted his resignation letter on his website. said, I've never been in an association so controlled by dominating pastors filled with tyranny and sexual abuse. I want nothing to do with it. And his reason, his conclusion was that uh, we are promoting people to positions of power and fame before they're ready. And that makes a good argument for why we should be careful. As Paul says to Timothy, Don't lay your hands on somebody too quickly. We're talking about authenticity. This is what the church is made up of, which is the, which is what love is all about. Okay. So this walking metaphor is a very valid. In fact, it's this walking metaphor that has defined for me pastoral ministry. I cannot convict a single person. I don't have that power. Only the Holy Spirit. Now I can talk about sin. I don't mind engaging some of the things that you're involved in, but it's up to the Holy Spirit. So I, presu- I understand the model this way. I'm walking along with you, and you're doing something stupid. We call that sin. And when the Holy Spirit's ready, boom, he just shoves you right in the ditch. That is a great moment. That's when you become aware of it, because I get to help you out of the ditch. That's why I've said repeatedly, don't stay stuck wherever you are. Come talk about it. Talk to me. Talk to the elders. Talk to the rest of the staff. They all know what to do. We know how to help you. Okay? Sin is debilitating. It's imprisoning. Don't stay there. No shame. No judgment. No condemnation. You may get a little laughter. 
that's about it. And we'll help pull you out of the ditch. And so he starts off with this wonderful verb. Um, Follow God's example, therefore. That's the beginning. What is God's example? No judgment, no condemnation, no shame. Luke 6. As dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This goes back to Leviticus, where the incense was there to remind God of his great love for us. And so we have replaced the incense in the temple. We are a fragrant aroma to God, even in our foolishness. Boy, I love these people. Love these people. And and the next verse is very important. But among you, there must not even be a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed and other things. Not even a hint. In other words, this should be an authentic house. This should be authentic right here. It's not that you're not sinning. It's just that you're not pretending and you're not being a hypocrite. You're being honest. Now, not every sin needs to come forward to a pastor or an elder. Not everyone. Sometimes you work it through on your own. But sometimes you get stuck, don't you, down dark alleys, some addictive disorders, things like that. You get stuck and you need help. Come get help. That's what he's saying, is that the very first characteristic in this chapter is love. Every other characteristic we're going to talk about fits under this umbrella. In verse 8, he goes on and says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Okay, Um, this word here, oh, on the next part, live as children of light. This, This verb live is actually the verb to walk. Walk as children in the light. That's one of the great things about the new covenant. We receive the Holy Spirit. We no longer live in darkness. We can actually see where we're going. We can see what life is supposed to be like. And so we're not in a hurry. Okay, churches aren't built overnight. Okay, churches that grow to several thousand people in a short period of time, there's a problem. You got a cult personality. You got something going on because healthy churches take their time to grow. They're not quick. Because you have to work through sin to get to authenticity. And that takes a while. It takes a long time to build that type of culture. So walk in the light. In other words, when we are an authentically loving church, walking in the light together, being honest, and just putting on the table what's going on. (coughs) Excuse me. That's why I've said just... Don't be ashamed. Just come. Let's just put it on the table and talk about it. If your issue is sexual addiction, fine. If your issue is greed, fine. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to know how to guide you and help you and walk with you on that journey. Some of you heard uh, Katie's testimony last week. And uh, you know what's wonderful about that testimony? That one thing that you wouldn't think of is that that happened three years ago. And uh, there's only about 10 or 12 of us that know the story. And not once did I hear a whisper of gossip. Not once. People like to talk about things. And so I just sat back and praised the Lord for all three years that we have such a healthy church that it wasn't doing this, blah, 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 all over the church. In fact, most of you were stunned when you heard it because you hadn't heard it before. And it happened three years ago. 
And that, that's a sign of a healthy church. So this is, uh, the, in verse 15, he adds to it. Be very careful then how you live, okay? That's the verb, to walk. <laughs> Be very careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So how you walk in wisdom. So love encompasses these ideas of doing it with wisdom and doing it with clarity and light. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. He brings clarity to us. We can understand it for the first time. This is the whole picture of what authenticity looks like. And it starts with love. And this is going to lay the foundation as we move into our marriages and our families to say what's it supposed to look like there. But he goes on in this past, the end of this passage. It's a very, very well-known and famous passage. I'm going to be a little bit technical, so hang on there with me. So he just told us, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. That's the world's way of doing it. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is the Lord's will? There's only about three or four verses in the New Testament that mention God's will. We tend to orient it towards vocation, marriage, all that kind of stuff. Now it's real simple. And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. Avoid sexual immorality, for this is God's will for you. Walk in wisdom, this is God's will. It's only three or four times he mentions the will of God. And it's real clear. And it's right here. This is one of them. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, wastefulness. That is a complete waste of time. Just don't even do it, okay? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, now when I say that, you automatically think of the Spirit coming up and filling you up. The English preposition with is a, is a troublesome English word to translate Greek with. For example, if I say, fill the bucket with water, that's very different than fill the bucket with a hose, one is talking about content, the other one's talking about the means by which you fill the bucket. This is actually a verb that has to do with the means. Let the Spirit fill you. Be filled by means of the Spirit, not filled with the Spirit. Okay? So you have to say, well, then what is the Holy Spirit filling us with? You have to go back to his prayer in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse, um, uh, let's see here. Where does he start his prayer? Okay, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. Okay, here's the foundation of love. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Isn't that great language? So that we can grasp it and to know this love that goes beyond all of our knowledge so that, here it is, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what he's saying is here, and this is plural, this is not a focus on you as an individual, this is a focus on a church. In fact, all the verbs throughout Ephesians are, are pretty much plural is that let the Holy Spirit fill you, Dillon Community Church, with all the fullness of God. Okay? 
We said last week that uh, grace is a byproduct. It's the result of the cross. Okay? This is why you don't sin. Everybody that sins has grace. But don't mistake grace with joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That comes from faithful living. So we all get grace, but we don't all get joy. We get grace because of the work of Christ. That's why there's no judgment in sin anymore. We get grace. But it's empty grace. Well, that's, that's, that's a bad thing to say. God's grace is always full. It's not, it doesn't bring joy. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, shalom, that comes from faithful living. So if you want to experience that richness, then walk a faithful life. That's where that comes from, joy. You all get grace, but those of you that walk faithfully experience joy. So he says, um, uh, do not get drunk on wines, but you be filled or let the Spirit fill you with all this fullness. That's the fruit of the Spirit, what we're created for. And then he gives, again, I'm going to be technical. Hang in there with me. I don't know why the NIV does what they do. Drives me nuts sometimes. But it's what I have. It's what I'm working from. Five participles that describe what this church looks like that is filled with this fullness of God. The fruit of the Spirit is operating all the places that we look. Five participles. A participle is an I-N-G word. Swimming, remember that? Jaron's participles. Go back for English. Some of you, that's a long ways back. So here they are. So let the Spirit fill you, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, speaking. That's truth. He just said in chapter 4, speak the truth to one another. So a truth that is, a church that is honest with each other and authentic and real, that's the first picture of what a healthy church looks like. That's why I said when you come forward, don't, don't come out of shame. Come because you're struggling. You don't like being stuck in sin. It's, on, it's just simple. Let's just put it on the table. It doesn't, I don't personally care what the sin is. It doesn't matter to me. I'm mostly interested in what does that journey to redemption look like. So the first participle is we are speaking to one another openly and honestly. Singing is the second one. Making melodies, making music in our hearts. Singing and making melodies. So you have speaking to one another, singing with together, making melody, making music in our hearts together. That's why we spend time singing, okay? Always giving thanks. There's the fourth one. Always giving thanks. We're a church that's going to be grateful I'm always bringing you back to gratitude. Have you noticed that? We're so grateful for who the Lord is. And then the fifth one, sorry, NIV breaks it off in its own paragraph, makes it a command. Submit to one another. This is the fifth participle. And you can tell because they start with speaking to one another and submitting to one another. So a church that is being filled by the Spirit is characterized by speaking the truth to each other, singing together, making music together, giving thanks together, and submitting to one another. The very next verse, wives, submit to your husband. There's no verb there to submit. That's causing you to go back to that participle and say, this is the foundation of a good marriage is that we begin to put each other first. Why wouldn't the world want to belong to a group like that? Why wouldn't they? where we speak the truth just simply, honestly, okay, with each other. We sing together. We make music together in our hearts. We give thanks together, and we submit to each other. We put each other first. And this becomes the foundation for marriage right here. 
Kenna, what happens when you put all three of them together? Let's put that last verse up there. You get to see the three walking verbs in this chapter. Walk in the way of love, walk as children of light, and walk in wisdom with care. That is a healthy church. And the Spirit is the one that fills us with the capability of doing it, the clarity to see it, and the goodness that comes out of it. We're going to spend the whole summer in the amphitheater talking about God's goodness. It's a wonderful Hebrew word, tov. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the goodness of God because that's part of what we are becoming. This house that's being built is a really good house filled with really good people. Sinful people? Yep. That's not the issue. Good people. Faithful people. Father, thank you. Thank you for all of our new members. We're so grateful. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for being just a good God filled with goodness and for being a God that loves to fill us with all those good things that come from you. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. We desire to be faithful. We desire to build that kind of church. Thank you because you're the only one that can make it happen. And um, for partnering with us, thanks for doing that.